coming up on today's episode of the Positivity Platform. This is the first time I'm ever speaking publicly about this. We have a tendency to, it's almost a challenge. I can fix this. There is so much guilt and shame when something like this happens. Through reading that book, the epiphanies, one after another after another, were that I had been groomed. Welcome to the Positivity Platform. We're your hosts, Erica and Evelyn. Join us for weekly chats that unpack life's experiences and forge pathways to positivity. Hi, welcome to the Positivity Platform. At this time, as usual, let's hop in the golf cart. Evelyn, I just want to say it is a cold day here in Hawaii today. It is. I am it's... cold. I'm sitting here wearing a heavy fleece. I see your sweatshirt. fleece. Yes, which yes, with so, zip. and it, with a zipper, a zipper fleece, <laughs> a quarter <And> zip. It, <laughs> yes, it is. I, I'm actually going on our weather app to see how well, wimpy we yeah, are. Well, when I woke up this morning, and that's what I was going to say. When I woke up this morning, I looked at the weather channel app, and it was 68 degrees here in Kapolei. Now I know that that does not sound freezing probably to our listeners from places like New England or Washington State or even California. Like LA has Mm -hmm. had really freezing weather this week. I saw that. They had some ice Mm -hmm. storms and snowstorms that have snarled the traffic in the region. But for Hawaii, this is cold. Obviously, it's fleeting. We're not going to be in this type of weather for long. Mm-hmm. But there's this part of me that I want to enjoy it, but I'm cold. We don't have heat it sources is. in the in the homes. Are you freezing too? It's been so blustery. And because my dog is so sensitive to the sounds outside, we keep the air con on and the windows closed for sound. We soundproof the house. Yeah. Otherwise my dog will drive us crazy. So it looks really cold outside, but we just keep it at 74 inside. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it's 70. I just looked, it's 73 degrees. Well, then it's warmer in your house than it is in ours right now, because yeah. we have not used air conditioning probably in, I would say probably six weeks. And it's been so, like you said, blustery or breezy. And so the house is actually really cold right now. But having said that, I don't want to minimize the fact that the weather around the country in general, the US, mm-hmm. let's say the US, because we do have listeners in like American Samoa, we actually have mm-hmm. listeners in New Zealand and Australia. But right now, the weather in the U.S. is, it's very unpredictable. All over the Mm -hmm. country, I've been seeing that they have record low temperatures, there are storms, there are tornadoes, a lot of weather phenomena going on around the country. So while we're sitting here talking about Hawaii, I don't want to minimize the fact that our weather Mm -hmm. is incredibly mild compared to the weather that others are experiencing. But Everybody, I guess, in a sense, blooms where they're planted, and this is where we're planted, and it is actually a little bit cold right now. So, But you were just speaking about your dog. We have Hoku. I've talked about Hoku in the past two episodes. Mm -hmm. We have taken to taking Hoku to the beach a few times, and he absolutely loves the water. This is like our dream dog, Evelyn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He is He gets into the water, mouth wide open, swallowing as much salt water as he can, running all over the place. And literally, the minute he gets in the water, he looks like he is in his happy place, you know? And I just love it for him. And we think he's adorable when he's running through the water like that, just enjoying it. He has like almost a smile on his face as he's doing it. And It's been a joy to see that. It's almost like when you take your little kids to the beach and they dip their Mm -hmm. toes in and they play in the sand, but Hoku is all about the water and he's having the best time. And it makes for some really fun nights for me and Odie. So just a quick segue from Mm -hmm. dogs to kids. Miles, my 11-year-old, has been here uh, half the week. We split custody with my ex. So we've been playing a lot of card games lately. So I just think you'll appreciate this. You know, we did that episode on raising children to navigate adulthood. And so much of that is like self-regulation and being able to navigate difficulties and all of that. 
okay, I might need some work <laughs> because Miles, <laughs> Miles playing card games is not necessarily my idea of the evolved child. Oh. <laughs> I love that kid. But what happens is he starts out really strong. He's winning and he's like excited to play. He wants to play. Literally, when he wins a hand, he breaks out the British accent. He's like, oh. all right, chops. Now here we go. You know, he's like, <laughs> breaking, he's like a really His... great winner. Mm-hmm. And then when the tides begin to turn, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I have these cards, you know, I can't even get a good hand. And he gets such mm-hmm. a bad attitude. So Odie keeps in, instilling in him, manners makes the man. Manners makes the man, you know? <laughs> so he says Attitude so is everything. <laughs> yes, attitude is everything. Manners makes the man. So I think it's hilarious that Miles is like my last of the five children, mm-hmm. so much younger than the others. And have I maybe slacked a little bit there? Is he, you know, do I need to work on that a little bit? Because yeah, the attitude isn't so great right now, but we're working on it. You know what, though? He's also 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, and you know what? I think that there is fun in trash talking when you're competing, even if it's friendly competition. I know a lot of people don't share that because I've turned people off when I've been playing a game, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking it's all in fun. And I think I know what you mean about the attitude, like, well, don't get down on yourself or start like not having fun. You win and then you lose. But I guess the key is trying to find a way to still enjoy yourself in the midst of defeat. Yeah, like you absolutely. are and be and I will say I I don't know I was just laughing because I'm thinking he's 11 he can totally change but then I think who actually likes to lose yeah but I, I guess I'm making uh, the ex- making the excuses right yeah. on yeah. or putting it on but even that you're thinking well as long as you're aware of when you start to act like that some people won't want to play with you anymore exactly That's happened to me Yes. That's I why have I have to watch football games him. all by myself. Oh, you because, do, Evelyn. Yes, you have a I really have. hard time when your Raiders are losing. You might. You know what? Which, you know, you think I'd be used to it by now. But you know what I remember? I, this is a perfect example of how bad it can get is uh, I'm a huge diehard Laker fan. Mm-hmm. And it was the playoffs or was it the championship anyway the lakers were playing this is so bad whatever team my husband's team was because to me if you're not you're either with me or against me (laughs) but anyway it was we could not watch the games together the series together oh my goodness so i we no seriously we could not we had two televisions and then i tried watching upstairs or he would be upstairs and i would be downstairs but i could hear like him cheer when <laughs> we were down and yeah. so the next game i left the house because I thought I can't even be in this house with anybody and this energy. <laughs> and I used to put it on him all the time. I said, you're so, you know what, you're, you, I don't know why you're so mean about the Lakers or why. And he said, are you kidding? Do you know that what I have to live with? When, and this was in the Kobe Shaq days. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we were on top. I mean, just yeah. so many, just championship after championship after championship. We just couldn't lose yes. even when we tried. But I realized I uh, I think it was then when we did end up winning that championship again that I realized how obnoxious I can be. Yeah. You know, and so it is there is like a certain it's fun or it feels good to me. It does. It and it's does. just one of my flaws. Like, yeah. you know what? <laughs> we all have them. So it's okay, yeah, Evelyn. In particular, I do, I do like- remember when you told me that you cannot, you no longer watch Raiders football games with in friends public? or anybody or in public, in public. Yeah. Yes, because like I you- tried at <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings and Eva and I, ca- I, I was with people and I did it twice, one Raider game. And then one time I went, the Lakers were playing. And when I can hear the comments that the commentary for people who are, whether you're on my side or not, it just is too much. And I can, and then there's alcohol involved. So 
I sit there and then I have to say something. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Like, whose side are you on? I mean, <laughs> oh, if you say that again, if you say that again, you're going to have to take that shirt off. Oh, my God. You know, Evelyn. you can. And and everybody's <laughs> drinking, right? And yeah. Yeah. So I I think that's why I'm getting a little defensive. Reserve some for... things for the safety of your own home. <laughs> or I'm thinking, poor Miles. You know what? Just let him be. I mean. He'll just, everybody will work around. I know him. he will, or he'll be it. playing all by himself. <laughs> he, uh, my hope is that he'll outgrow it. But in the meantime, yes. I think the manners makes. The I man, hope I, you know, is it. like I'm still really, hoping. Yeah, I grow that. I think you've got a little time there, Evelyn. One last thing before we get out of the golf cart here. I want to update you and our listeners because I did talk about this briefly, I think maybe two episodes ago or maybe the last one when we talked about using our words. So actually it was in alignment, like do our words align with our internal identity in terms of who we are and who Mm -hmm. we want to be. So I spoke briefly about the sign that I saw in the bar. In the bar. (laughs) I'm not going to fake that it was a restaurant. It was indeed a bar. And I had spoken with the managers about this inappropriate sign. It was had discriminatory content. And so the other night, Thomas and I were in the bar. We stopped there on the way back from the beach and it's dog friendly bar. And so we took Hoku and we just had a drink. When we were talking with the bartender, she indicated that she had been also made aware of it. And the sign was no longer there. They had removed it. So again, like using your words and especially when you feel super passionate about something or you Mm -hmm. know that to have not said something would have, it would have impacted me. It would have gone against everything that I know myself to be. So I'm really proud of myself and I want to acknowledge that. I'm proud of myself for using my words and impacting change. And appreciative of the bar owners, the Mm -hmm. staff, the management Mm -hmm. to recognize where they maybe needed a little bit of education because they had no idea and Mm -hmm. their, their quick action to right a wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a perfect moment to go into our mindful minute. Absolutely. Our Mindful Minute is when we pause and take a moment of gratitude for something we are thankful for. Whether we are having a great week or a week full of challenges, taking the time to be mindful of something we are grateful for allows us to focus on the good in our lives and forge pathways to positivity. I have to get better at focusing on my Mindful Minute because I am always just so full of gratitude. And I absolutely mean that. Like every minute something else comes up, what you just talked about. I'm so grateful for the shift that I am witnessing that that could have, it could have been ignored. Mm-hmm. Or in the past, I do believe in those occasions the person who is offended by it, it's their responsibility to understand that the intention behind it isn't hurtful. Mm -hmm. So why should I take it down? Mm -hmm. You know, so you kind of threw me off, uh, caught me off guard because that is something to be extremely grateful for. Just knowing that there, the tides are turning, that being able to speak out is honored because when you speak out and then what you say is taken into consideration, true Mm -hmm. consideration, Mm -hmm. and then action is taken, they took it down. It's just, I'm starting to see more and more evidence that we're ready as a community to change. Mm -hmm. You telling that story, I'm so grateful that there is more awareness, there is more respect, there is more contemplation and why we things are up when they don't need to be up, especially if they're offensive. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine, Evelyn, if like we could extend that beyond an incident that might seem small because it only impacted a bar, right? Mm -hmm. But if we could extend that same thing beyond Mm -hmm. a bar and it becomes something that we as a nation, as a world start to really embrace, the idea that speaking out on something we're passionate about Mm -hmm. can affect change. And the idea that the person on the other end of receiving that information is a willing participant in the conversation, is willing to listen and learn and grow and that 
change could possibly be evidenced in their life, which extends Mm -hmm. far beyond the people involved in that particular conversation. It extends to the community that it impacts. I love that you're grateful for that. I'm actually Mm -hmm. super grateful for that as well. And then I feel bad because my mindful moment for this week is so selfish. (laughs) No, don't. you know what? Hey, let's do it. Okay. Can we just real fast? Let's touch on that. Your okay. mindful moment can never be selfish okay. because you are <laughs> reflecting for something that you are truly grateful for. And I think yeah. we need to get into, you know, that's a practice. You're right. How about, yeah, it can't be selfish. It might be self. It is centered on you, but we're celebrating that too. We're getting comfortable with, you know, why, why shouldn't I be the center? You're right. My mindful minute today is that I am so grateful for, and I feel like our listeners are going to be exhausted of me talking about Odie or Thomas, but I am so grateful for Odie. You know, yesterday you and I just recorded an interview and Mm -hmm. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it, but I needed to spend a great deal of time yesterday editing that interview. And Odie took it upon himself to just really grant me the space to work independently, took miles to the beach and then to Monkey Pods, a little restaurant to have Miles's favorite Sprite and Musubis. And, mm-hmm. and it just freed me up to really be able to focus on what I needed to focus on. There was no judgment there. There was no guilt surrounding the fact that I couldn't hold up to my commitment in that moment, which I was supposed to go to the beach as well. He just really supported me in what I needed to do to make this podcast available and ready. And I'm so thankful for that. So I think it extends beyond just being thankful for Odie, but being thankful for supportive people in our lives, whether that's a spouse or a friend or, you know, an acquaintance or a neighbor in a time of need. I'm just so thankful for the supportive person in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to hop on that thankfulness because I'm thankful that he allows you to edit yeah, because you you do a wonderful job at our editing. Oh, That's lovely to have somebody care enough about you, your space and what your passion is right yeah. now. And then honoring that and just being helpful. That's what makes life. I always think of that too. You know, of course you can get through life, but when people do nice things for you, it mm-hmm. just makes life so much more enjoyable. It right. Does. And you can feel yeah. the love. It's definitely an affirmation of his love for you. At this time, we'd like to pause so that you too can contemplate something you are grateful for your own mindful minute. Okay, so last week, we completed our two-part series that examined the questions, who am I, who do I want to be, and how do I align the two? Today, we are going to explore the story of a woman who experienced a transformation in her own life, which led to her own examination of these vital questions. What does life look like on the other side of self-reflection? which leads to alignment of who I am and who I want to be, and how are pathways to positivity forged along the way. So with that, let's further build the platform with today's moving moment. Our moving moment is a weekly inspirational quote that always ties into the theme of the day. Today's quote is by Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson is an American author who wrote Return to Love. She's also a spiritual leader and political activist. And I quote, it takes courage to endure the sharp pains of self-discovery rather than choose to take the dull pains of unconsciousness that would last the rest of our lives. So let's get ready to hop on the platform and introduce today's guest. 
I'm so excited to have our guest on here today because she is a friend of mine and I actually had the privilege of being a part of her life to witness this transformation. She was a beautiful person when I met her and what she has transitioned into is an even where I thought it wasn't even possible, but a more whole, a more beautiful, a wiser person. And I'm so excited for her to come here and share her story with us. Monica, why don't you go ahead and give us a little and oh, go ahead and do your introduction. Well, first of all, thank you for those unbelievably kind words. Um, you bring me to tears already. That's <laughs> absolutely true. When I met you, I just thought you were amazing. And then now I've gotten to know you even better. And what you're going to share with us today, I think this makes you like superstar status. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I love what you are building here um, and empowering people and sharing your stories and I've been moved by both of your individual stories um, and just find so much inspiration. So it's an honor and privilege to be here with you. So I'm Monica Princetta, and I have two amazing children, and I am enjoying a new chapter of my life as an empty nester in beautiful Tennessee. Thank you so much for being here, Monica, and for talking with us. And I personally am so excited to hear your story and learn more about your experiences with discovering more about your authentic you. We're so excited to have Monica here because, well, we ended up tacking on a three-part to our two-part series. So two weeks ago or two episodes ago, we started talking about identity and exploring who we are, who we would like to be. And then last week's episode, we talked about how do you know those two are in alignment? And we also talked about that's not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, exploring it is the first thing because a lot of times we have this image of who we are or we convince ourselves that we're a certain way. But with alignment, we examined are your thoughts, words, actions in alignment with your desire of who you want to be. And sometimes that's kind of off. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen to our last two podcasts, I encourage you to do so because they really are foundational to learning more about yourself and will really give a background toward understanding and even a greater appreciation for Monica's story that she's about to share with us. So please take some time to listen to those two episodes. And we're looking forward to unpacking Monica's life experience today. Monica, would you just share a brief background about your personal story? So I married somebody who I had met in college and had been friends with for a long time. We actually didn't start dating until about nine years after we had met each other. So I definitely felt like I really knew this person. He is a Marine or was a Marine and led his life with the Marine Corps ethos of integrity and honesty and God, family, country, core. So we built our family and our marriage based upon those principles. So about 20 years into our marriage, it came to light that he really had not been living a life that was in alignment with those ethos and what I and the principles on which we had built our family. There were transgressions that spanned our entire relationship. So from dating to engagement throughout our 20 year marriage. Mm-hmm. It's so tough. Just even what you've said to this point, you know, if you listen to episode two, I had the same experience, Monica, like the same experience. And it's earth shattering. Nothing that I thought to be true was true. That's exactly right. I mean, everything, all the principles, every moment, I mean, it really made me question everything. And I think, you know, one of the things that that I want to say that, you know, maybe fits in here, one of the things that I think I, I know I experienced, and I've heard other women have the same experience, is there is so much guilt and shame and public shaming when something like this happens. Yeah. So how did I not know? What did I do to push him away? I mean, any number of things like, how is it even possible you didn't know? And I have to be honest, I've heard stories similar to mine and had those same thoughts. 
minutes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. wow, did that stop me in my tracks? Because I just wanted to go back and apologize to anyone that I had <laughs> that thought of if that was their story. Because I can sit here in absolute honesty and say, I had no idea. Yeah. No idea. Mm-hmm. So that in and of itself, and unfortunately for us, we had just moved to Hawaii. So I didn't have any friends or support there on island. And it was also very public. (laughs) Nothing Mm -hmm. worse than sort of having this this really painful moment um, aired publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, And really only parts of it at the time. There was so much of what was happening to me within our marriage that that I held inward. It it didn't it didn't belong out there. So it is vulnerable. This, This is the first time I'm ever speaking publicly about this. I've only shared details with friends where I feel seen and heard and safe in sharing that. You know, Monica, one of the reasons why I, when we decided to do this particular segment, I thought of you because I am hoping that going through all this, it will do for you what it did for me and Erica, which is owning your story. Owning gives you the healing, but then now sharing it, like you said, you are having the opportunity to tell people, even your your old self. When you hear this, always pause and maybe if you can hit that compassion button first, our reactions are usually so intense. Like, what do you mean she didn't know? Well, one thing I want to do is connect this to these previous two episodes. We have all been military spouses. So much good or bad of our identities are wrapped up in what that means. And when you have no idea And then you're shaken to your core. We've talked about this before. It's really difficult for military spouses to like build their own careers. We can try, but it's difficult Mm -hmm. with moving every three years. So much of our identities is wrapped up in being a military spouse. And all of a sudden, when you're thrust into this situation that forces you to choose perhaps a different path, there is an identity crisis within that. Mm -hmm. So I want to acknowledge that as well. So if you don't mind, Monica, if we could just back up a little bit, and can you tell us a little bit about who were you prior to your marriage? Yeah, of course. I will say that who I was before my marriage was very much who I was within my marriage and immediately, not immediately, but for the year and a half after finding out about all of the things that were going on in my marriage, I was still that same person. With my family dynamic, I was the peacekeeper. I am the one who does whatever I have to in order to make the people around me happy. In my family, it was like, stay small, stay quiet, be good, do the right thing, and just try and like not poke the bear because I didn't like chaos or conflict in my life. So the way that I dealt with that was to try and alleviate. And that was self-sacrifice that I I now know that at the time I just, I thought, you know, I'm just a really good person. I really love hard and I love big, but I also, I, through the process, what I recognized is that I was never operating from a foundation of self-love. I Mm. believed that love is something that's external, that what I did, what my actions were, were direct relation to the love I received. Yeah. The better I was, the kinder I was, the more submissive I was, then the more I felt worthy of and received love. Mm. That's huge. Yeah. And again, things that are handed down to you, right? Because are you talking about that that was also your your upbringing and then that's what how you defined receiving or earning love Definitely. going into your yeah. marriage. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And and again, I didn't Oh, gosh, I mean, it's so crazy, right? Like you're saying, Evelyn, is when you look back and to see this person and, and you know, I just want to hug her because yes, <laughs> you can't, you poor thing, you know, you just didn't know, you didn't yes. know any better and you didn't know any different. And uh-huh. so, yeah, I mean, that was the relationship with in my home and particularly with my mom, you know, it was love was something that was conditional. Uh-huh. And so I learned For what the sure. conditions were. And then I, I it was performative. Mm-hmm. And I very much took that into my marriage. And, and I do think that the component of the military spouse 
is an interesting one because you do lose yourself in that. And I didn't have myself to begin with. So it was very easy to just morph into that and to kind of take on the role of something that was put before me and just work really hard to be the best Marine Corps spouse or the best CEO's wife or whatever at that moment, the the role that was in front of me demanded. Monica, so many people experience that same thing, the same idea of somehow we sort of lose sight of who we are inherently. There are outside influences, right? That impact us and affect who we are. We become who others expect us somehow to be. So when you experience the circumstances surrounding your story, like without going into any details, like the transgressions that you then had to come face to face with. Tell me about what that was like in terms of you and your own personal identity. That is such a great question. And what I did is I I just fortified that role. Mm-hmm. I fortified the mm-hmm. the foundation of which I operated that what was important at that moment was preserving my marriage and fixing or helping my husband through this portion of his life and, and keeping our family together. And I I just took on the role, like what I was feeling or going through at that moment of self-devastation and really contemplating every part of my life. I really pushed it aside and said, here's the bigger picture. And I can do this. I can forgive this. And I can see that there's a role for me to play in helping this situation and, and fixing it. And again, preserving our family and our marriage. Mm-hmm. So I just kept trudging along. Although in that moment, I was assuming that role, I, I had mountains of evidence sitting in front of me that, that this path that I had taken to this point really didn't work well for me. But I didn't know anything different. So I just I just kept going down that path. I think yeah. sometimes for women, especially strong women, we have a tendency to it's almost a challenge. I can fix this. I can Okay, so now you're faced with evidence and you cannot deny that these things have happened. So what do you do? You say, "All right, I'm big enough to own that." The bigger prize for me is I can fix this, you know, and I can sort of put together a picture that is acceptable to everyone. And in order to continue to stay together, but with our two-part series on identity, but how much of that is going against you know, now you're putting your values or, you know, I know you then and now integrity, all of a sudden your integrity is redefined. Well, now the integrity is the integrity of my family and saving our life. And then maybe I can deal with that later. Now, all of a sudden the forgiveness is so easy because the prize that I want at the end of this is to just sort of go back to being the admired, respectable family, but then there is a cost to that, right? I mean, could you feel that, that if, as you were doing it, could you feel, or was it after, because clearly something changed because you guys are no longer, you guys are divorced and you're very happy in Tennessee now. Yeah. So it definitely was not in that moment that I, that I was aware that maybe I was going against what my true authentic self would want and believed in. And I have to say one of the really big components of that moment in time for me and why I chose to try and stick it out and to fix it was faith. I took vows. This is better or worse. This is Mm. sickness and health. Here we are. And so now what? Right. And so I didn't even think that I was going against anything of my values or identity or who I was. I, that's just what you did. And I needed to do everything that I could mm-hmm. before I got to that point, because that was going to be such a crisis of faith mm-hmm. for me 
I needed to know and make peace with the fact that I had done everything I could to fix this and and salvage our marriage. Mm-hmm. And when you speak of like, you didn't even at that moment recognize that it was contrary to who you knew yourself to be, your authentic you. You in that moment were doing what so many people do and what I've done, which mm-hmm. is... I, I don't want to say that this is particular to women, but I do think women have this so much more than men where we're the caregivers, we're the caretakers, we're the people that make everything better. We're the soft place to fall, all of those things, right? So when crisis happens or something throws a curveball into our lives, we still have a difficult time. I know I did looking inwardly and saying, but what about me? Instead, we look at all of the people around us and want to fix it for everyone else and be the soft place to fall for everyone else and make it better for everyone else. But in that process, we are out of touch with what's aligning with my values, my interests. And then I'm out of alignment because I'm living this, you know, with the most pure and honorable intentions behind that. But in the process, we lose a part of ourselves. Well, I think it's important maybe right now we can point out doing the exercise to actually identify or ask yourself, who am I? I don't think I ever did that. I was who you don't even think, well, I am who my parents raised me to be. You didn't even challenge any of those thoughts. And so and the ones that you did for me, the ones that I did may have been the superficial ones, you know, the big obvious ones. But what Monica just shared was she said her faith. She never even yeah. questioned where where is the basis of yep. this faith or the value in this faith. It's not mine. No. Because my faith would have kind of said, what are you worthy of? I'm worthy of honesty. I'm worthy of true love. I'm worthy of my own opinion. I'm more, I don't think unless you pause and stop and ask yourself, and I have to re, I have to reevaluate this all the time because my self-worth gets so caught up in helping children manage their lives Mm -hmm. or being the friend that doesn't rock the boat you know, in like a superficial conversation. But unless we sit there and ask, like maybe if we would have had these or Monica said, oh, she was so quick to go to faith, I automatically went to that. And that's where I drew my next move was, oh, my faith and my vows. But at what cost? Oh, that I have to put my beliefs aside or I have to take less or expect less for myself to save the whole of the family to take that to the next level. Like within that, Monica, that's so impactful to me personally. I was a person of faith for years. I was actually in uh, Christian school education. I was a missionary for a period of time. And that faith component is huge because so much of your identity is wrapped up in who you are as part of that, that body we as humans, we tend to live out our identities in terms of who am I in terms of my faith? Who am I for my children? Who am I for my husband? Who am I? But we lose sight so many times of who am I for me? And so what I want to ask you, Monica, is what questions or what was that turning point? What questions did you have to ask yourself to begin the journey of discovering who are you for you? For a year and a half, I waded through the quagmire of continued discovery of his indiscretions. And really, the way I feel about it is like I was beating my head against a wall. Yeah. I thought that I everything I said or did, I thought would affect change, and it wasn't. And I... I mean, we went to marriage intensive. I was in women's group. I was in therapy. We did um, uh, couples counseling. I bought every book I could possibly find that talked about surviving infidelity. Um, Just, I mean, everything. I was just headfirst into how do I live with this? Yeah. And some things resonated, some didn't. Um, and I started to feel like 
it really was sort of put upon me that I was the one that was going to have to forgive and then and and walk this path with my husband. And if there were further transgressions, then you know I had to continue to find this path forward. Started to weigh heavily on me, to say the yeah. least. I'm sure. But, yeah, and start I to asking know. like, do I want this? I mean, this is what my this is what my life is starting to look. I'm going to have to accept this is what my life is going to look like. Right. It's outside of that, that moment of just, you know, upheaval and and trying to hold things together. This is right. Exactly. Evelyn, now I'm looking down the line and imagining what my life is going to be like when there's no longer my purpose of a Marine Corps spouse or, you know, we're empty nesters and, and can I live with this? You know, can I have trust with this person? And no, I mean, it's just, no, the answer was clear. But somewhere in my um, seeking answers, I picked up a book that was more dull into psychological um, matters and sort of like personality disorders. I mean, I remember it clear as day. I just started reading this book and I I feel like I was looking around like, who, who sees me? Who wrote this book about my life mm. that didn't know me? Mm-hmm. Um, and the realization through reading that book, the epiphanies one after another, after another were that I had been groomed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. A perfect description. That is grooming. Yeah. And, and man, like if I thought all mm-hmm. finding out about all the discretions were bad, whoa, yeah. there is nothing worse than that moment. Like, hold on a second. Somehow my goodness or what I put out into the world, like made me vulnerable and susceptible to this person. And I, I took the bait, like I swallowed it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what grooming is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. That's and But who would ever believe? No yeah. one ever says, Oh, yeah. yeah, I think I'm like, I'm that person like that could happen oh, to me. Yeah, you always think, oh, sure. my gosh, there's like, no oh, way that would ever be me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at me. I'm so strong. I got I am a caretaker. I could spot that a mile away if someone were putting that upon one of my children or anyone oh else my or my sister or my friend. Oh, you would have told somebody, you know, is he okay? Because it sounds like, but when it comes to ourselves. And I just want to insert this here. It doesn't minimize your trauma here in this scenario. So I don't want to minimize it in any way, Monica. But one thing we are so passionate about is always recognizing that every single person acts out of their own trauma and their own wounding and their own, you know, whatever that is. And so we're not here to demonize your ex-husband and his behaviors were inappropriate, hurtful. The public nature of it just compounds how serious and how uh, devastating and devastating this was for you. But we do always recognize that even as horrible as those actions are, that person, that human has his or her own traumas, in this case, his own traumas that cause him to behave in the way he behaves. What we do recognize, though, is somebody else's trauma you do not have to be a victim of that for your lifetime. Just because we always want to make sure that we're also forging pathways to positivity in our own lives, part of our ability to move forward in a positive way is to recognize that that person has acted out of those traumas, but I don't need to be a victim of it any longer. So now you've come to this reckoning and this book was like so impactful for you. And I love when you say, he was writing my story or she was writing my story. That was like a pivotal moment for you. So then how did you use that pivotal moment to begin embarking on your own journey to implementing the changes that you felt and knew to your core needed to happen for you to become more authentically you? Well, I think you made a great point and and it really speaks to exactly how I felt in that moment, which there was a separation between what he had done and what I was experiencing because yeah, I just recognized that this wasn't done to me. His actions were his actions. They were not in response to something that I had lacked 
or something that I had chosen to do. And, and at that moment, I was so wrapped up in that story, right? That there was something that either I had done to make this happen or something that I could now do to change it. And, and it really was. And I, I have a lot of compassion and empathy and I can separate the two that whatever took him down this path is his path. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and now, and now it's, here's my path. What yep. did I do? And what, what am I needing to, to do now to see this and figure out how I landed here and, and how do I move forward? Yeah. And so, yeah, I really started looking at, you know, introspection again, how did I, how, what is it about my personality or the way that I move through life that, that allowed me to be susceptible to this? Uh-huh. So I had to start figuring out how to put what I needed first and not, yeah. not like in lieu of other people, right. but really yeah. to carve out space and time to say, like, I need to be a part of this women's group, or I need to go to yoga, or I need therapy, or I need time to journal, like, that had to become a part of my obligations to myself. Mm. I was like, just, you know, broken glass. And and, but I also Mm -hmm. knew, like, this is an opportunity to take those pieces and create a beautiful mosaic. So Monica, I I'm just impacted already by your story. You have expressed that that book was the revelation for you. And then you made what I would say is a conscious decision to start aligning all of the circumstances within your life to the who it is that you knew yourself to be and who you wanted to be. So along that path, what challenges did you face, if any? Oh my gosh. Challenges. I mean, just so, so many challenges. Like, I, I don't want to sugarcoat that it wasn't like, oh, you know, this moment and then the path forward was easy. It is so challenging. And, and that's why I love the quote, the lead in, right? Is like, again, the courage to endure the sharp pains of self discovery. Amen. Because having to look at every aspect of how I had moved through life was excruciating. So I just took one thing at a time. And one of the, the like golden tools that I was given was when I was part of the women's group that was um, facilitated by my therapist. And we were working with the Brene Brown um, concepts. Shout out to Brene Brown. I right, love, well, I love yeah. Monica Brown. and I. We, yes. we love, we all love Brene yeah. Brown. Truly, right? And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just, I think everybody needs to pick up the gifts of imperfection. If that's the foundation of always focusing on the things that are wrong with us, mm-hmm. I mean, my gosh, what just in the word gifts of imperfection, mm-hmm. like yeah. so fantastic. And the, the concept of the voice that we speak to ourselves with. Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. At first I was kind of like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, and for some reason it seemed to happen a lot when I was in the shower and it was like this reflection of my day. And I was saying things to myself, like, God, you're such an idiot. That was so stupid. How could you make that mistake? And once Mm -hmm. I was given this tool to hear that, Mm -hmm. I couldn't unhear it. And I thought I would never allow somebody else to speak to me the way in which I'm speaking to myself. And, you know, and same thing, like I wouldn't let anyone say those words. They wouldn't come out of my mouth towards anybody would never Mm -hmm. say that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I really started to work just on that because I thought if I just have this negative self-talk, then that's, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to continue to be in this place where there's something wrong with me. So Mm -hmm. things like you're such an idiot were you made a mistake or mm-hmm. this is a learning opportunity or yes. great. Try again tomorrow. Right. And it was just really simple things. It wasn't even like, you're so good. It was just mm-hmm. reframing those negative things that I was saying. And mm-hmm. yeah. So I find myself doing that now. Like if I drop something, I'm like, Oh, you know, you made a mistake. Like just mm-hmm. lead yes. with kindness for myself. In the way that I did for everybody else, 
self-kindness. We talked about that in this last episode, episode six about alignment is reframing your thoughts and allowing yourself to, instead of getting into the space of negativity in our thoughts, which can become a downward spiral and lead us to places where we're unable to emerge in a positive place. You saying that's a first step for you beginning to reframe your thoughts is or challenge so them, right? Or challenge, or challenge them, them yes. because you know what? It's you can't reframe if you really believed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things where you probably did think, Monica, that's so stupid. I used to do that too. <laughs> but be, but you know what? Something I want to throw in here is that when you really look at those thoughts, you know, and since we're talking about Brene Brown and her, her life's work is on shame. You know, and that is the basis of all of it. I'm so ashamed that I wasn't smarter than that. This has been such a long journey for me, building myself up versus beating myself up. When I would come up with, you're so stupid. Well, how were you supposed to know that? So now when things come up and I make like a huge mistake or it's something that I didn't know, I have been raised same as you, Monica. That was my currency. I was an easy kid. I got good grades. I did what I was told. I always was a step ahead of everybody to be good, you know, but and be smart and know. And to love big. Yes, love big. But Mm -hmm. what I was laughing, you know, after you realize there is no shame and not knowing. So, Monica, you've made this discovery. And now you've made the change. Can you please give us an overview of what that change was in your life and then who you are today as a result of those changes that you've made? Well, I mean, this is the best part because, oh yeah. Like I just love me. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so I really do. I, I, yes. And, and, you know, Evelyn, you sent me a text that basically looking back, right? And you said, I don't know if you see it or you take time to look back and see what you've navigated yourself and your children through. And I do, I give myself permission to see that, but the journey is long and it's never ending. And I think that's an important thing is I continue to grow and to fortify. And this is a practice, right? So it's a muscle that I have to exercise. Mm -hmm. I have to keep hearing that voice in my head. I have to keep doing the things that I did to get to this point to continue to be the best version of myself. I am divorced. That was, yeah, very lengthy process. Um, But yes, divorced. And I built a very successful career um, to support myself and and my children um, while I was in Hawaii. And then made the decision that I needed uh, a new, a new space somewhere that I could, and not that I was running away, but I just didn't want to continuously have this story be part of my present and my future. Yes. Um, so I sold my house in Hawaii and like throwing a dart at a map, I chose Tennessee. You are now living in Tennessee. And yeah, who are you today? I'm full. I'm complete. I am whole. I just, I feel like I live in abundance. I see love so differently now yeah. than I did then. Like I have so much love in my life and it comes from my friends, from myself, from my children. And, and it is so soul filling. It's so strange because I used to say, and I, I don't like that I used to say this, but when I would meet people who had been through a life altering, typically a life altering illness, and then they had gotten past that and come to this place of just abundance and gratitude. And I always said, I want to be there without the disease, right? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want to be sick. And what I realize now is that's where I'm at. Like, everything feels happy. And and I'm not saying, oh, every day is roses and sunshine. Uh, That would obviously, we all still have life and there's a lot of moving parts. But the overarching is I am, I have gratitude for everything for my experience. And that is the one thing I want to say, I am so, so grateful that this happened. And, and when I look back, I think it had to happen in that moment, in that magnitude. And with the public, just to tie in to my story, like 
mine wasn't public. So I lived with it, Monica, for 28 years, for 28 years, because it wasn't public. And I didn't have to face that terrible question of who am I and how is this experience and what I'm living currently not aligned with who I am at my core. You're, you're brave. You are brave and you are, you know, worthy of so much more. And I was worthy. And everybody who is listening is worthy of living their fullest, best life in accordance with who they authentically are, no matter what their circumstances. It doesn't have to be transgressions within a marriage. It doesn't have to be, you know, the same story. But if you can find yourself within this story, where have I lost sight of who I am? And is my life and what I'm putting forth publicly in alignment with who I authentically Mm -hmm. am? What advice would you give someone who is on his or her own journey to self-discovery after a life-transforming experience? I think the biggest component for me is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Oh, yes. Like, I know that sounds super simplistic, Mm -hmm. but you know what? It is. It is hard. It's a challenge. And and along the way, there were pieces of information that were given to me that were really helpful. And it was, um, my therapist said, you know, as I was trying to navigate self-discovery and still maintain life, it was hard to put those two together. And so she said, you can put your trauma into a jar and you can put that jar on a shelf mm-hmm. and it's a glass one. Like you can see it and you know, it's there, but when you have time and space, then you can take it down. So it's not that you're shoving it aside. You're not burying it. You're not numbing. It's yeah. there and just carry on and then do that. And You know, I have to say that there were moments where I was so afraid to allow myself to feel because I felt like if I broke down and I really started to feel it, that I was going to be sucked into this abyss Mm -hmm. and I would never get out. And she said, set a timer Mm -hmm. to cry. And I was like, that is ridiculous. But you know what? Mm -hmm. It, it works. It really works. And, and I think there has to be balance. You've got to find joy in amongst this self-discovery that's really hard. I love that because self-discovery or when you're working through a traumatic experience and redefining who you are or what your definition of life is or trying to regain that trust in, in life because all three of us, we had made these plans. We knew what our future was gonna look like And then when it's turned upside down and you have to find something new, it is a process and life does still go on. You still have to go to work and you have to raise your kids and you have to find joy in the parts that weren't messed up by that. But in the meantime, you realize the work that you are doing on yourself starts to amplify the joy in other areas so that that trauma or all that healing that you're doing or the what was messed up just doesn't seem as it's not the center of your world. Well, Monica, I just want to thank you for your vulnerability in sharing your story. And it is so clear that through this journey, you have forged pathways to positivity in your own life. I know that your story will be inspirational and impactful for all of our listeners and will also serve as a springboard for others who are striving to forge pathways to positivity in their own lives. So with that, it is time to ease off the platform with this week's Better Than Fine Practice. The Better Than Fine Practice is a weekly takeaway mindful practice that will allow you to take steps to forge pathways to positivity in your own life. This week's Better Than Fine Practice, I just have to give Monica props. That was such an amazing story and how she shared and her vulnerability and her triumph. I mean, it was just wonderful for me. But one of the things that really stood out for me and when she talked about paying attention to how she was speaking to herself, you know, when she said it used to just come up in the shower and she would say, you know, oh, you were so stupid. Or this week, I'd like all of us 
to pay special attention to how we do speak to ourselves. Anytime you're addressing yourself, listen to that. Is it uplifting? Are you hard on yourself? Are you, is it negative? Are you berating yourself? I think awareness is the first step. Yeah. You may be, I mean, maybe you are really awesome at talking yourself up, but then also is that honest talk? You know, are you playing victim? Nothing's your fault. Somebody Mm -hmm. else is out to get you. This happened to me because that person isn't didn't do what they needed to do. Just all this internal dialogue. Let's pay extra attention to it this week and then see how we feel next week. I love that. I think it's really great for us to be able to reflect on that internal dialogue. So many of us are unaware of the internal dialogue, what we're telling ourselves. This Mm -hmm. particular better than fine practice is really about reflection. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really what our last two weeks have been about as well. Self-reflection. I just really thank you for always giving us words of wisdom in these Mm. better than fine practices and practical takeaways that we can implement into our daily lives. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And please join us next week as we begin a three-week series that explores the question, what would my life look like if I actually chose happiness? You won't want to miss the impactful stories our guests will share. So until next week, thank you for listening to The Positivity Platform. If you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of The Positivity Platform, please follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio to receive updates and alerts when new episodes are released. And please leave us a comment on our social media, positivity.platform on Facebook and Instagram, and The Positivity Platform on Twitter at PosPod2022. Thank you for joining us on the Positivity Platform.